Hey guys, happy new year. I hope you've taken this little break from the podcast to establish some new goals for yourself that are unrealistic to achieve. Uh, And if you haven't, don't worry about it. Our dating system is uh, outdated and arbitrary, and you shouldn't feel any pressure to do anything differently than you did from December 31st. Uh, And you should just make changes to yourself at your own pace, regardless of what the time of year is. Uh, Like maybe listening to the podcast more. (laughs) I've got Taylor Machete, who is an actress, an educator, a blogger, and my wife. As my guest this week, I wanted to start off 2018 with someone close to home. So Taylor and I sat down at our kitchen table with a glass of red wine that we got from Casinos in Gilbert, and we talked a little bit about her history with the arts before we met and the project that we're going to be working on. I'll let her explain that in a little more detail later on. But for now, quick bullet point, we are going to be doing an improv performance slash workshop on the next Friday after this gets released, January 14th, 7.30 at the Mesa Arts Center. Free tickets, donations accepted if you're willing to give them. It's going to be just a fun, low-key thing. We're going to be you know, getting people up to play some games if you feel comfortable with it. If not, just stay and enjoy watching other people. And for now, kick back and enjoy Taylor Machete. Serving artist Phoenix. I'm Tony Machete. I've got a special one to start in the new year. I have my wife Taylor Machete as my guest. How's it going, Taylor? It's good. Yay! Is it? Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's good. Uh, Yeah, so, you know, my wife and I, we do a little art ourselves, and I thought, you know, what better way to start the the next year of artistic endeavors between the two of us with sharing this with each other, and, you know, because it's an opportunity to maybe kind of learn a little bit more about you and kind of the path you took that I don't really know about so far. So let's kind of start at the beginning then. So I know that you started doing theater stuff when you were pretty young, so how did you first get introduced to it? (laughs) Well... I don't necessarily know how I first got introduced, but when I was a kid, I was just always crazy. And so I would dance around the house and take off my clothes and be <laughs> overly energetic. So my my family always was like, oh, you have to do drama or theater. And my grandpa was always like, we're going to be a superstar, which obviously I am clearly now. <laughs> he did it. But I did it. <laughs> and so it was kind of them telling me that I was going to be good at. And I was like, yeah, okay. All right. And then obviously once I started doing it, I did shows in elementary school because that's what you do when you're in elementary school. So it was like through the school, like classroom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, in one of, like, I think third grade, I got to be Duke Ellington, which makes zero sense. (laughs) But. (laughs) a black man. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. In our school show, which was ridiculous, but it was, I loved it. And my parents (laughs) thought it was hilarious. So I loved the attention, obviously. And then in fifth grade, I did a school show. I was Dame Van Winkle. 
for Rip Van Winkle. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So then again, same thing. I was just like, oh yeah, the attention. <laughs> at I least they, so they took the time to actually at least change you to a woman. For I, that one. I was a woman <laughs> and very mature to be a partner to a man. <laughs> so, you know, it made a lot of sense. But yeah, you know, like school shows and then started acting with community theater like Missoula. I was piqued my interest and I started doing some shows with them because they came to town and they did like week shows where you rehearsed for a week and put on the show at the end of the week and did some shows with them, which really got me super interested in theater because it was such a fast collaborative process and it was working with kids too because I was obviously really young at that point. So is that where they have adult actors come in and like they bring in kids or your age and you go do the shows? For them? Kind of. So they always have auditions and it's like a tour, a touring company. So they have generally how it worked, at least in Lake Havasu, there was two people that would come into town each year and they would, them together would work to cast, like they'd hold an audition mm -hmm. and all of these kids would show up and they would put us in line from tallest to smallest and <laughs> and they'd have us like say different things like say this line like you just won a million dollars or and they'd like go around the entire circle and then they would start moving people up the line so you could tell like who was doing better if you were moving up in the line that meant you were doing better oh that's kind of pressure though yeah. where you can actually see as a kid well, like oh i'm not doing well <laughs> they didn't necessarily make it super obvious because okay. they grouped in like types because most of the musicals were big common Disney or storybook musicals. They would have, oh, these 20 kids are gonna be deer in this, or ob not obviously deer, oh, but like. Obviously deer. <laughs> from the hit Disney movie. Deer. <laughs> or I guess Bambi. <laughs> from the hit Disney deer. So they'd have grouped kids that did like a, an ensemble dance. Okay. Thing. And then there were like lead characters. Those are the ones that really got to the front of the line. So how many people were involved in this? It was pretty big casts. I want to say probably at least 40. Oh, wow. And yeah, and it was crazy because we'd all collect in a room with these poor touring people for like hours a day. I don't remember how long the rehearsal the actual day was broken down, but it was a pretty long day and it was only a week long rehearsal process. So they had to deal with all of us like screaming kids. <laughs> That's crazy. Okay, yeah. so you got to do those type of experiences that came in. You said it was like a pretty fast turnaround process. So, you know, as a kid, what do you feel like it was that like stuck with you about that? Well, I got into Missoula a little bit later, so I didn't really start Missoula until I think I was in high school. Oh. So I did bigger roles, so it was a little bit more theater-like for me because I got lead roles where I had you were lines. Apart. You were yeah, I wasn't like in an ensemble. So I got me through the process and it was kind of cool being, I don't know, feeling Big probably a little entitled. Yeah. Cause I was like, Oh yeah. Like I've got lines that I have to memorize and I only have a week to do it. And, but they trusted me enough to be this part. Blah, blah, oh, the life blah. of an actress. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, you know, your awkward, annoying teenage self. So were you doing classroom theater throughout all of this? When you got to high school, were you auditioning from freshman year on? Yeah, so I did. We had like a <clears> bunch <throat> of local theater companies. Oh. So I auditioned for Grace Arts Live, which was in Lake Havasu, and um, City Center Production, which is a company in Lake Havasu. And I did like shows with them. And then also throughout my high school, we had a drama department. So there was like freshman year you started with beginning drama but then you could audition to be an advanced drama and once you got into advanced drama you could do 
more productions. You did two productions a year is how it worked for my high school for the most part. So I did that on top of the other production companies on top of like Missoula, oh, wow. which Missoula only came like once a year. So with, I mean, I don't know how big like Havasu is as far as the theater stuff goes, but was it like the same group of people and everything? The community center going through the high school? Because everybody who was in the normal drama, for the most part in advanced drama? Or? No, not necessarily. There were like cliques of different people, just like any theater community, really. The Grace Arts people, yes, there were some people that were in Grace Arts that were in advanced drama, but they kind of stuck together. And now City Center actually does not exist anymore, but that was a very different group of people than people that did Grace Arts. I did a little bit of both. I didn't do a lot with Grace, but Grace actually cast me in my first show. And that was when she, before she had her own space, she had, she worked through the college. So it was like, I got college credit to do a show with her, oh, which cool. was kind of cool. What show was that? Jesus Christ Superstar. Nice. Yes. So was it always kind of leaning towards musicals and bigger cast and stuff? <sighs> so I, a lot of my community, more community theater stuff was, but not in high school. And I... We did some musicals, like we did Thoroughly Modern Middle, Thoroughly Modern, I can't speak, Thoroughly Modern Millie in high school, but that was the biggest musical we did. The rest were pretty much straight shows. Oh, interesting. Okay. I just, so it wasn't necessarily that was your preference. It was just whatever was available. Yeah. yeah I just like getting involved <laughs> and it was cool because in high school too, we did outside of advanced drama, we had drama club too. That once I got higher up in high school, so like my junior and senior year, I was like on the board of and I directed shows with high school students, which was kind of fun. So I got some director experience, which was cool. And um, we did like other activities through that too. So was your whole school pretty supportive of like the whole drama scene? Because it seems like you guys have some good resources. I mean, I, yeah, it was kind of strange. We did, looking back at high school, I realized how much more art there really was. I never thought like Havasu had a lot of art because mm. um, there's not really a lot of physical art. No, no mediums beyond really theater. Like <laughs> our Grace Arts is kind of pretty cool company. Grace Arts Live uh, Theater Company, which is the biggest thing like Havasu has when it comes to the theater scene. But the high school, yeah, definitely was supportive cool. in its weird way. <laughs> in a weird way. So you kind of mentioned other art too. I know that, you know, your mom does ceramic art and like pottery art. She does like the visual art side of things. Were you ever tempted to go down that road or has it always been performance stuff? So no, I, I was not really tempted to do 2D or 3D art just because I, I just... I feel like I'm not as good. My mom always says I was good at it, but she's my mom, so I can't trust her, you know? <laughs> so I I like the idea of doing physical art, and I like uh, self-expression, so, like, I've dabbled. But <laughs> I have never thought of my... It, I never thought of it being one of my strengths. I feel like I'm way better on stage. I feel more at home on stage with me personally Hopefully other people actually think I'm good at it too, but that's where I feel most comfortable is like expressing myself in that way. That's that's interesting. This is you you kind of talked about how you got into theater because of people around you like your family being like, "Oh, you're so dramatic, you should do this." And that you like ate it up and you jumped right in, but they say like, "Oh, you're wonderful when it comes to art," and you don't believe them. I wonder what the disconnect is there. Well, I don't think <clears throat> I I don't think that necessarily like all of my family were as excited about my drawings <laughs> as my like outgoing B 
behaviors. Like, look, you, I'm in a play. Oh, good. And I drew a picture. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I feel like if I gave my, some of my grandparents picture like drawings they wouldn't be nearly as impressive I, as if I did a show like my my grandpa and grandma on my mom's side were very interested in me <laughs> doing little productions for them and they're excited about that but definitely not as excited about a drawing <coughs> present no yeah your, your whole family pretty behind you as far as any artistic endeavor was that like did they want you to go into visual art I don't think any parent really wants you to go into art that's I mean not to say that they weren't extremely supportive because I came from a very artistic family but it's it's hard I mean getting a degree in theater is not something that you are ever gonna really make that much money unless you do something really crazy or get really lucky and I know for me I don't necessarily ever plan on moving to Hollywood and breaking into movies or anything like that so it's a hard path, but my parents have always been super supportive because my mom, an artist, a professional artist, essentially, she's done that in her entire life. I don't know why I said essentially. She's always done yeah. art. She has made a living and livelihood off of art from before I was born. And my dad dabbled in some art too. And he was a show promoter for the Arizona area for a while. So they're definitely super supportive. I... But they were always pretty realistic about like, if you do this, you're not gonna. Yeah, my I, my, I think my mom just really wanted me to study something that I was gonna make some money off of. Mm -hmm. And not to say that she was disappointed that I studied in theater, because she definitely wasn't. Well, I was probably very, not gonna listen to Sailors, okay. I know, I was just saying, <laughs> but I'm very, I'm very fortunate to have the parents that I have because they were supportive. I was allowed to study whatever I wanted to. <laughs> That's fair. Let's, let's look at that decision a little bit more, though. So you've been doing performing through all of elementary school, middle school, high school at this point. It gets time to decide on college. You, despite all of that kind of realism thrown in your face, you, you decide to go with a theater degree anyway. So what was your thinking behind that? Like knowing that that was something that you weren't necessarily going to get much from. Well, okay. So it took some time because originally I had my major as math education because I love teaching and it's still one of my big passions. But I just, I had a double major. I had math education, math, math, math education, what they call it math, education <laughs> math education and theater. And it just, I think mostly I got lazy and it was obviously I have more passion in theater than I do in math. And math was just a lot more work, not, not a lot more work in the sense of theater wasn't work. It was just the work behind theater I was very passionate about. And so it didn't feel like the work that math education was going to be. And I just am, I'm just an awful student and I wanted to do <laughs> stuff that I was passionate about. And so it's kind of how I landed on that. And it was just, uh, the NAU theater department for me was very kind to me. And uh, I had a lot of fun with the program and I found outlets that I wasn't expecting. So... What made you decide on math education first then? Was it just the education aspect and why not just like straight ed? Yeah, it was the education side of it. Uh, but I knew out of all the subjects that math I was most passionate about, which is strange, uh, I know. But I, I knew that our theater department is getting rid of our theater education major. You're talking about NAU. NAU, yeah. yeah. So, and I was dead set on going to NAU because my sister told me I should go there. And I was like, sure. <laughs> and I'm very glad I did because I absolutely loved Flagstaff. But I, it kind of was the most passionate thing, subject that I had was math. Interesting. Okay. 
but that I guess that kind of shows that the cliche of always just like it's not work, you know, if, if you love it type of thing. That literally you were doing both, and it was like one of them felt like work, and the other one didn't. Yeah, I feel like I just have a very romantic look at everything, and I'm just like, oh, I should love my career, and I should love this, and if I don't love it, then don't touch it. You know, I yeah. don't know. So were you like a theater man? Because I know that you know I I met you first semester of freshman year. You were in theater classes. Was it's something you were just doing as like an elective or were you like a minor? No, no, no. Okay. I was a double major. You were a double major, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're fine. <laughs> <I'm gonna cut laughs> it's fine. No, I was a double major. So I did take theater and that's how I like decided I was, meh, no, just this. Too much work. <laughs> I'm lazy. <laughs> so you, you decided you were going to, to go into it as a major then from the beginning was that... Do you feel like you only made that decision because you had the other major too? Like, okay, I'm going to do theater, but I also have this math education as a, a safety net type of thing? Having both? Yeah. I think that there was just some pressure from a little bit from like my sister uh-huh. and a little bit my mom that I need to have something that I can make money off. Not that education oh. you can really make money off, especially in Arizona. So, but I think it's just something a little bit more concrete and... With theater, it's very much like you have to create your own career. No one's going to be like, this is this is the position you can have, you know? So you wanted to do theater as a major this whole time, but you added on the other major, just kind of responding to those ideas, responding to that kind of, I, I guess, criticism. Yeah, I guess. I do think that, like, again, same thing as, like, I, I was passionate about education. And I was like, oh, that subject makes the most amount of sense for me. It was just more testing. And more- <laughs> yeah, I think I just also just hadn't figured out what I wanted. Not that I still have. I'm still figuring out what I want day to day now, you know. <laughs> so uh, I know that, you like you said before, you found some new outlets and stuff while you were in college. When you jumped into it, were you planning on just, like, focusing with acting? Was that kind of your thing? Yes, yes, it was, I guess, my thing. <laughs> I it was, it was the part of theater that I had the most experience. I Once I started studying with NAU, though, I did dabble in some other areas because it is like a liberal arts college, and with the theater department, they very much took that into mind. You had to study technical sides of theater as well, so I got really passionate about costume design. I didn't do a lot with it, but I was very interested and took several costume classes. I also fell in love a little bit with education and some administration stuff because I was a admin assistant for the theater department. And so I got to like lead tours and do stuff like that, which I was super passionate about, which is silly, but I like found like little, little areas of theater that weren't necessarily straight performance. Do you feel like when it comes to doing tours and administrative stuff like that, is that kind of a branch off of education for you where you're kind of promoting something and you're like being positive and just being encouraging that type of thing? I guess to an extent, for sure. I mean, you have to to have an education department, like you have to be able to promote it. So definitely, I'm sure there are parts of that that I found intriguing. It seems like... Somebody who is a tour guide also has to kind of be an educator a little bit. So I wonder if there's just some overlapping skills and stuff there that that you were kind of responding to. That's curious. So were you actively trying to find stuff outside of acting this whole time? Or were they kind of thrust upon you and you rolled with the ones that you responded to? I don't don't like the idea of anything being thrust upon 
anyone because just especially in like the art scene because you are never given anything you have to work for it so I definitely was very lucky with some of the things that I was allowed to do and some things that I applied for that I got like being an admin um, doing some director stuff that kind of stuff yes but it wasn't like I was ever necessarily given it per se like I was I was given it because I asked kind of so I was and I also wasn't necessarily trying to find something different than performance even though looking back now I really wish I would have done more stuff outside of performance not to say that I don't love performance but there's just so many interesting and fascinating things in theater that not everybody's going to be an actor and I don't necessarily need to be an actor all the time but sometimes it's fun too you know and it was my emphasis. I did get an uh-huh. emphasis in acting performance. That's an interesting way of saying that. I keep on saying interesting over and over interesting. again. Interesting. So <laughs> interesting. Oh, saying. gosh. Um, no, that, that is... Sorry. That is something that... It's an intriguing way of saying that, um, that you don't need to be an actor. So talk about that. What do you, what do you mean by that? Oh, Maybe I'm just being an asshole a little bit too because I I love acting and I, it's not like, again, same thing, same concept of I don't think anybody's going to give me acting either, but I like other sides of theater. So it's not to say that I wouldn't, if I auditioned mm-hmm. and got cast, I wouldn't be super excited and I also wouldn't just give it away. Like I would want to hold on to that if I got cast in something. I just think that there are other types of theater. Like I, I'm excited about some of the stuff that I'm working on right now where I get to do some program planning. Like that really excites me, which is very, it, I mean, I guess like you were saying, it's very intuitive of the educational side of my brain. Mm-hmm. That you like to be able to put stuff together that can make people interested in what's going on. You just don't necessarily have to be front and center on it yourself. Yeah, like I don't need to be always the center of attention, although I'll try. Well, that's that's odd because that's kind of how you said you got into it. It's like, I love the attention. Totally. I like that type of thing. So when, when do you feel like that turned around? When do you feel like that changed? Um, maybe when I realized how annoying I am. Just kidding. <laughs> no, but like, I think that once you get a little bit more mature and understand that how you used to think about yourself. Like, I don't know, like the whole idea of being in theater when you're in high school, you're in thespian society and how amazing is that? Like, I'm better than everyone. Like, I think that understanding and being able to reflect on that a bit can kind of change your view of yourself and like not always needing to be that (laughs) because I I hate the idea of ever coming off pretentious and I'm sure that there are always going to be points in my life where I'm going to come off pretentious definitely I yeah thanks (laughs) but I try I I try to be as humble and down to earth as I can be and I think sometimes understanding that somebody else is better for a role than you are is part of that now I'm dwelling on this because I'm really fascinated by how Ego is so tied up in, in artistry and I performance, know. especially just because, you know, you do need a level of ego to even 
assume that you could be an actor to assume totally. that you could be right for a part and I, I think that's such an interesting thing because it goes against what so much of the world tells you you know to be modest be humble um like you said but you you kind of need it so how do you find that balance it sounds like you had to do a lot of kind of self-exploration already yeah i mean i don't have the answers tony <laughs> i don't know but no, you I told know. me before we started <laughs> we had the answers. but i think that I, one thing that's important is like understanding through the audition process sometimes when you go in there like yes you need to be confident in yourself and be the best part of yourself or be the best part of this character you're trying to portray but still understand that there are other people probably in this room that are way better than you that might get cast in that role or that that the company knows a little bit better like everyone has their ins or and understanding that you don't deserve it is important I think if at least for me because if I understand that and I understand that it's important for me to represent myself the best I can and if I get it then it's like yeah that I'm so excited and I'm so glad I worked for this and I'm so glad that they cast me but you have to understand that sometimes that's not going to be the case a lot a lot of the time you're going to have a lot of rejection and you have to be kind of okay with understanding that there's competition that is such a tough thing because I feel like that's how they and you just mean kind of the royal they of like uh, the whole society of of performance. That's how they treat auditions and stuff. Is you have to walk in feeling like you're the best one for the role because they need to see that confidence. They need to see the big choices and all that. But I think that's also how how they they set it up so that rejection hits you so hard afterwards that you 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 are told to walk in there knowing that you are the only one who could do it this way and that you should be cast. And then when you're not cast. They tell you, it's like, oh, could happen. So it's this huge up and down that I think that's, that's why it's so hard emotionally, I think, for people who go through auditions so much. Well, I think yeah. from my perspective, too, and everybody has their uh-huh. unique perspective, but like I am a plus size woman in theater. I don't get cast in a lot of the roles that some other women would get cast uh-huh. in. So I have a completely different perspective in what I should be expecting from an audition than my like peers should have. Just because I should, like you have to, in theater, you have to know your type. Mm-hmm. If you don't know your type, then you're going to set yourself up for even more rejection. And I... I but just, then you still have to, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you totally, off, but no, you're fine. you still have to balance it in that, you know, if you get so caught up in what you think your type is, you might miss out on opportunities. Right. You have to make some choices too, mm-hmm. like, and understand scripts, but... It's hard when right now in our society, a plus size woman is not going to be playing an ingenue in most cases. It's not common. It's not common. And that's not to say that I wouldn't necessarily go to an audition if I thought the part was perfect. I could play it to the T, but it it just doesn't necessarily make sense, make sense unless you're playing like a fat pig, Helen and fat pig, like something that literally says that this ingenue is going to be plus sized. But you, you just, even with all the progress and stuff, you see, it's interesting, you see like multiracial and you see even gender swapped and stuff like Romeo and Juliet, but you never see a plus size Juliet no matter what. Right, like. right. And I <laughs> don't ever want to, again, same thing with, with this pretentiousness thing. I don't necessarily want to think that I, that plus size women deserve uh-huh. anything more than getting different races into parts because I think that's so freaking exciting but I definitely there's a gap in that like there's a gap in plus size women in in films or in theater I think that though plus size women do have more opportunity in theater than they do in film I would argue yeah I would argue 
Yeah, I, I guess we don't really know for sure the numbers or yeah, anything on for that. Sure. But, but no statistics <laughs> behind this at all. This is just kind of a gut, a gut feeling. That's interesting, and it is odd to think that you know that that is just like the last frontier that that we won't cross. You know, we'll we'll make all these bold choices, you know, for progress, but you still have to be conventionally pretty, and that's really weird to me. But have you ever thought about looking into more like film work and stuff like that? I've thought about it. I I think really my self doubt is what stops me a little bit from film work and just my experience. I don't necessarily have a lot of film experience. I'm always interested in learning new things. So I would never turn down an opportunity that I thought was exciting. But I right now I'm really focused just on live theater right now is that's a big focus of mine so now this is the weird thing i think i'm just picking on you more because you're my wife and i can do it and do we it. can just fight later but that's the <laughs> that's another thing too of, of you said it's your self-doubt so it's that balance again back to like ego and back to confidence of you don't want to lean more towards one way but then if you lean more towards the other it gets into doubt so you're maybe cutting yourself off from stuff and it's a never-ending struggle i'm not necessarily looking for a response even from but it's just like this never-ending struggle it seems like of trying to find that that measure of your own self worth when it comes to this. Yeah, that's fair. I don't. Know, I don't really have a response to that. <laughs> Do you think this is a kind of a big question? Do you feel like you, as a performer, have changed as far as your your sense of self worth goes because of the the work that you do? My, has my self worth yeah. worth changed? Yeah. Um. Has your confidence dropped or increased because of being in a theater position? I don't think so. No. I think that it's taken me some understanding of what my, I was kind of talking about before, what my role is or what my type is. So that has changed me to an extent, understanding that. But no, I wouldn't say that it's changed my opinion of myself. At least I haven't tried to let it. I think that I should control that more than the situations that I put myself into. Okay, so let's let's talk a little bit more about kind of what you've been doing since school then. So Okay. <laughs> since graduating, so I know that we've kind of explored a couple of different things as we come along. Now I even when you are in school you're always working while you're trying to have these theatrical opportunities happen. So talk a little bit about you know, that kind of work and art balance and how you try to approach it. <sighs> I hate this question because I, yeah, I've, I've, I started working when I was 13 years old and have been working since. I, I just think it's important to have a decent income and for me to be able to explore all of the things I want to. Like, I don't have anybody that's going to support me other than myself. I love my parents, but like, they've never financially really supported me since that basically when I was 13. God knows I haven't, so. (laughs) Stop. So it's been important for me to find ways that I can. And so I have gotten into store management really is the kind of my day job right now. And I, yeah, that started when I was, basically when I was 13, I got into restaurant business and barista slash coffee Mm -hmm. store manager, moved up to Payless. I worked for Payless for a while as a store manager. And um, now I'm at Target as a store manager, as an ETL, not not an SDL, which is an executive team leader. So, you know, that's cool. But it's been always important to me to have something keeping me from falling apart like it's important for me to be able to have 
an income that's going to keep my student loans away. Well, collectors away, I should say. <laughs> I still have to pay my student loans. <laughs> and just being able to support myself that way is important. But I don't like that getting in the way of my arts. So I like to be able to create my own opportunities and work on projects that are really flexible with my schedule. Because, yeah, for some stupid reason, I have to be able to support myself. Not so stupid. It's, but. it's not stupid. It's a, it's a conscious decision, though. So you feel like you've made that, even though you could potentially find more opportunities, if you weren't doing it, it's important to kind of maintain that kind of steady income, that day job type of thing. Yeah, because otherwise, right now, I'm not in a place to have enough money from theater, unfortunately. Although I wish I could. I just, with the lifestyle that I have currently and with my debt, it just doesn't make sense. So I need something in the day that's going to be a little bit more substantial than my theater gigs, unfortunately. Do you think that's just because of Phoenix or do you think that'd be kind of anywhere? I, I, I would say that it'd probably be most places, especially in some of the bigger cities where you're housing expenses are way more expensive than phoenix like phoenix living is pretty affordable and maybe that's like a safety net for me a little bit but it's helped me not cry every night about finances <laughs> so i'm holding on to it for a little while longer <laughs> but it seems like it's kind of a personal thing for you where since you have been working since you were a teenager that you you have this certain priority set that you, you can't necessarily just shake because you want to go acting all the time. Yeah. And I have dogs yeah. and you need them to have a backyard. very important. Even though they're all sleeping on our fucking couches right now while we're doing this interview. They're <laughs> <laughs> not using the backyard at all. That was just very important to me. I just needed to have dogs. <laughs> well, it's, I guess, I mean, again, it's, it's always been a conscious decision, it seems like, though, that you're saying, like, this is, this is my priority. I, I want to have dogs more than I need to be acting in, like, a community theater show. And it sounds weird when you put it like that, but it's like, I want to have a dog. A dog has certain expenses with it, and I have to be around the house more often. I need to do that more than I need to be in 30 Modern Millie again. Yeah. 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 My income is for my fur dogs. <laughs> Your fur my, dogs. My fur dogs. <laughs> As opposed to the other dogs that don't. Have I don't know fur. why I didn't say babies, <laughs> but dogs. that's annoying. So you know, uh, <laughs> I have an income for dogs. <laughs> so, so talk about the creating your own opportunities then. So I know that, obviously, I know firsthand that you are doing things in theater right now as well. But you do some stuff kind of outside of theater that maybe connecting a little more to the costuming stuff. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, if you want to talk a little bit about the blog that you were doing. Yeah. So. I do, I want to do everything all at once. So that's my lifestyle. So right now and indefinitely, I'm sure I'll be working on this for a while. I'm working on a plus size blog. So I focus on plus size fashion and body positivity. It's called Born to Eat Cupcakes. And it's just kind of a side project and it lets me play with fashion because I, I love fashion. So, yeah. Now, is that something that you were exploring even before you did costuming? Like, is that why you feel like you reacted to costuming? Is that you like fashion already? Or? Honestly, I don't think so. I think costuming had a big influence on me. Mm -hmm. I wasn't nearly as into fashion until I got to college. Mm -hmm. When I was in high school and I, 
I, w- I wasn't a tomboy in high school, but when I was a kid, I was. And so I was still kind of figuring out, I guess I was still figuring out who I was because mm-hmm. like middle school was all like grunge boy bands and you know, whatever, not boy bands. I don't know. I said boy bands, grunge and boy bands. No, boy bands was like middle yeah. school or elementary school. Whoa. But like trying to figure out who I was once I got past high school, I explored a little bit more in fashion with college. So definitely costuming so, probably had some influence. So when did you decide that you needed to have something to say about it, that you wanted to put something out there about it? The thing is, is that I don't necessarily think I needed a platform per se, but it was something fun that I, mm. that I had a passion in. So even if it's just for myself, which sometimes it feel it is, I feel I like it, it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, it's not because I have, I have like this message that I need to express to the world. It's more of a self passion that I want to explore and see where it takes me. If it takes me something somewhere great, then fantastic. If it doesn't, then it was a fun project. You seem to get a, already getting like a pretty good response to it and stuff like that has it been something that you feel like has pulled you away from theater like not in a negative way maybe but do you feel like that's maybe something you're more focused on now than performing honestly no i do like it a lot and i love exploring different fashion and exploring again like Mm -hmm. that body positivity Mm self-love that's i find that very exciting but i at the end of the day, still need my theater fix. You mentioned that a couple of times, the whole idea of body positivity and stuff. Is that something that is a priority for you with the work that you look for and all that? Totally. I just believe in everybody should practice self-love, whether that's because they aren't comfortable with how they look or mental health or anything. Like, I think it's important. And I know that I've had my own struggles with all of that, so... I just think it's important. Yeah, it is, like you said before, especially in the arts community, that's something that kind of, I think, affects people. Absolutely, yeah. So now that you've um, moved on from that too, you, you're going back into theater stuff again as well now. Let's talk a little bit about that. So what, uh, what's the projects you're working on now? Well, I've been teaching with the Mesa Art Center for, I think, over two years now as a theater teacher. I do a bunch of classes for them, which gets my education fix and is amazing. But on top of that, I started a company with three amazing people, my husband, Tony, you being a part of it. Yes, go on. <laughs> uh, called Laughing Pig Theater that I'm super, super excited about. We've got some really interesting projects lined up within the next year, and it's got a big education focus as well as talking about social issues and yeah, that's, that's my big, my big project that I'm working on right now. So what made you decide to try education again, you know, since getting back into like the Mesa Arts Center and with the new project? Well, because of our residency at the Mesa Arts Center, it does rely on education that kind of had a an impact on that choice. But obviously like myself and one of our partners, Ada, she's very passionate about education as well so it was important for us to create that as a foundation of our company so how do you how did you get into this residency let's kind of talk a little bit about that because i think that's it's an important thing to maybe have people hear about as an option well we have a contact at the mesa art center um his name's billy (laughs) (laughs) that we've been talking to and basically asking him like what he needs from us and 
what would be the best partnership for the Mesa Art Center because we've had a partnership with them in the past and this is a little bit of a new one and we kind of talked about structuring some classes with him and ask what kind of space constraints we have what what they're able to provide for us and what we're able to provide for them so like we do free workshops for them and we do some we do obviously the classes for them and then our benefits from it is we get the space we have rehearsal space performance space we whatever we need essentially with some some compromise that relationship i mean is that something that you you said we were uh, your teacher first basically yes so you you came on as a teacher and then from that when we were developing our company then it became a little bit more of a concrete thing we got to share the space do you feel like space is the biggest kind of opportunity we were, we were lacking yes yeah probably space space is always a hard thing because it, it costs a lot of money for a business to own a space and if you're not going to be turning around profit right away you're going to be in the red unless you have some really awesome donors. And we didn't necessarily have donors. So that was like opportunity number one. And opportunity number two is obviously then what do you do without donors? You need some, you need a compromise. (laughs) (laughs) This is something we've been talking a lot about in our meetings with uh, the group is that you, we need to be able to bring in an income, but we don't want to, impact the work that we do we won't, don't want that to be like a, our our focus you know we, we don't want it to be all about bringing people in because then we just end up doing any like every other company in town yeah so in your head i mean what where do you think the line is with that what where do you think we need to find a balance there i i think one thing that really spreads a good theater is creating a good community and so one focus for us is doing pay what you can or donation donation only tickets so if people can't cannot afford to to purchase a ticket that they still can see art live art Mm -hmm. and I think that that's something that we have done or that we are starting to do that I'm really excited about because I hate the idea of limiting our audiences just because they can't afford it because we've all been there Mm -hmm. and I think it's important to be able to share self-expression and hopefully that word of mouth will also help us drive more people in those seats Mm -hmm. and hopefully those people that came in for free because they couldn't afford anything more. They are excited enough about what we created that they're going to go tell all their friends. And hopefully they have a lot of them. (laughs) So how do you do that, I guess, is the simple question there. What do you feel like it is that engages a community? I don't think I have the magic answer to that either. I, I think you just have to start with the community you're near and try to get like capture their interest one thing that we're doing again is playing with some of these social social justice movements yeah Yeah, and we our first big performance is going to be revolving around me too monologues and also other stories like that but we're going to kind of capture we want to try to capture as many different storytellers of diverse everything races gender etc everything possible because we want everybody to have a platform that they can tell their story so that's one thing we're doing is we're trying to really hopefully capture a community by including them and other things that we're doing to 
to capture more community support is free workshops. We do free workshops once a month, every second Friday in, at the Mesa Art Center in the acting studio upstairs, the lit light, the lit stairs. But we're doing that every Friday where people can come watch a little performance and also learn about it. So our first performance is going to be in two weeks. It's on the first, 14th. second Friday. Look. No, 12th. 12. You cray, boy. <laughs> so on January 12th, we're doing a free improv show followed by an improv workshop to teach whoever wants to how to do some improv or some improv skills and rules. So doing that, and we're doing that on a monthly basis. So every month we'll do some teaching, maybe with a performance component. Not always will there be a performance component, but doing stuff that really allows the community to get involved i think that's our approach i don't know if it's the right approach we'll see i guess but yeah so piggyback off that we'll kind of jump to the last couple questions i like to ask i'm gonna switch it around a little bit so normally i I ask for personal plugs second but since we're already kind of talking about that let's follow so any other kind of personal plugs and projects you want to put out there websites all that my personal stuff yeah just anything you want to oh okay well laughing pig theater theater t-r-e Obviously, T, I don't know why I said that, but it's RE Theater. So we've got our Facebook page, Laughing Pig Theater, a website, laughingpigtheater.com. You can check out all of our events. We've got some really exciting stuff like I was talking about. The next one is going to be the improv show. We've got those like Me Too monologues that you can continue um, submitting them until the end of January. We have those that audition posted on, on Drantcom. And I believe another place too, but it doesn't matter right now. We'll include that on but the bottom can, of. Yeah, we'll, we'll put a link in definitely there. So what we were talking about the submissions. So what, when you what do you say about that? You, Me too monologues. What does that mean? So like I said, we were looking for diverse voices. So anybody that wants to tell their story about, I forget how exactly how we word it. But essentially, it's it's a about that kind of general theme is that it is just people who have gone through something similar and like writing a story about that is that type of thing yeah so we're looking for people to share their personal experiences of sexual assault their abuse like if they had abuse of privilege and power anytime they challenge the status quo anything similar to that doesn't necessarily have to fall under any of those titles but something along those lines. I like to say Me Too just because that is the most recent movement that I think people can can understand, but also diverse storytellers. So not specific to any not specific to any gender, any race, anything mm-hmm. like that. We want all stories. And you could submit that to our email, laughingpigtheater at gmail.com. And we're taking submissions until I believe the 27th of January. And you don't have to perform your own monologue if that's something you're not comfortable with. If you really want to, you can. But we are going to be selecting our favorites of the monologues that we receive. And if not, if you don't want to perform it, we'll provide a person to perform it for you. What about the blog? The My blog? Yeah. My blog is borntoeatcupcakes.com. I also have my Instagram's pretty active, borntoeatcupcakes. On Instagram, just that's my handle, and yeah. So if you want to see more about me and body positivity and plus size fashion, you can visit that. 
Awesome. Okay. And jump back to the other question I'd like to ask. Any other artists in town? Doesn't have to be performers. Just anybody you want to give a shout out to. So obviously I'm really excited about the, the work that we're doing at Laughing Pig. So shout out to my peers there. So obviously Tony, Tony Machete, myself, <laughs> just kidding, uh, Ada McCartney and Tony Holtz. We are the board of Laughing Pig and I'm very excited about the work that we're going to be doing there. I am really thankful for Laura Durant and her work at Durant.com and always being able to let us post stuff on there and showing all of the stuff that's going on in the community to audition for. It's really nice. Another person that does a good job with that is Gil Benbrook, Phoenix Stages. I love being able to go through that and look at all of the plays that are going to be going up. And I am thankful for all, all of his work on his website. My personal friends, Tony Latham is an awesome performer in town. Rachel Solis, she does a lot of work with Child's Play. She's amazing. And Kristen Martin, same thing, Child's Play. They're both wonderful people. And yeah. Awesome. All right. Last thing I'd like to ask, if you were to encounter someone who was, you know, trying to go down the same path you did the first day of doing it, what's one piece of advice you want to share with them? Oh, gosh. My advice would be to stay positive and make your own opportunities. So whether that's actually creating your own theater company, you don't have to do that. But I think that it's important to really do all of do a lot of work yourself. It's important for you to get involved the way that you want to because nobody's going to give you anything. You have to do the the grunt work, <laughs> unfortunately. And I think with that, you have to stay positive because otherwise you will give up because it's hard. It's hard work. And you have to surround yourself with people that are going to be understanding and supportive and amazing. Um, and yeah. All right, Taylor Machete, thanks so much, honey. Oh, wow, thanks. <laughs> Special thanks to Nick Machete for writing our theme music and Taylor Machete for all of her support. If you are enjoying the podcast so far, don't forget to follow us and leave nice ratings on Facebook, Twitter, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Pinecast.co. And if you or someone you know is pursuing something artistic in the Phoenix area and you'd like to be on the podcast, write to me at starvingartistsphx at gmail.com.